0: Classical music terminology. What a verbal minefield. There are as many definitions of music terms as there are opinions about what we call the different aspects and elements of music and music-making. Some are truly subjective. For example, tone is often described with words that can mean different things to different people. Harsh, smooth, strident, or graceful. Yet other terms are supposedly widely understood but still hold the potential for multiple meanings. One such term, quite flexible in its application, is the expression chamber music, and it holds quite a world of meaning. I'm Vlad Smushkevich, and I invite you to join me in this first part of Chamber Music, exploring the origins of Western music's most popular music lineup. <music> The opening of the first movement of the String Quartet number 14 in D minor, also known as Death and the Maiden by Franz Schubert. That was the Chiaroscuro Quartet performing. These sounds might be what you or I or many among us think of when we mention or hear the words chamber music. A perfectly compact, wonderfully versatile group of string players that can be a standalone core for other lineups that expand to become quintets and sextets or more, or contract and transform into highly intimate trios and duets. It is ordered yet filled with expression, something Goethe once termed four rational people conversing. Perhaps the fact that we readily think of this particular disposition of instruments is not so much because it reflects the true definition of the term chamber music, but rather because of the ubiquitousness of this arrangement, particularly in the last 250 years of the Western art-music canon. And the fact that we might think first of instruments is also a sign of their dominance on the playing field. Let's take a few steps back, and recall the origins of chamber music by examining the word itself. The chamber of the title, be it in French as chambre, kammer in German, or the Italian camera, implies the main room of a palace or other dwelling of persons of high standing. This means that the history of chamber music should stretch back at least to the Middle Ages or Renaissance. If solo songs such as air de cour or lute songs should remain a separate genre from chamber music as solo-accompanied songs, then we should probably claim consort music from the medieval and Renaissance as the first form of identifiable chamber music. Where could we find this? Let's begin with the chambers of French and Italian nobility and intelligentsia in the 14th century. This so-called high medieval period bore witness to a form deemed the new art, ars nova, which saw some of the most interesting developments in Western music up to that point. One of those developments was a style called ars subtilior, the subtle art. Andrea Stefani, that was Morte, Masciol, Amor, the Salazzo Ensemble from an album on the Ambrunay label, En Summillon, Dreams and Visions in the Middle Ages. As the practice of making music in small groups continued through the late Middle Ages and Renaissance, it was to be found in the chambers of common folk as much as that of nobility from lowest to highest. Known to have penned many a tune during his time, King Henry VIII describes in his song, Pastime with Good Company, how the best way to avoid idle moments is to do exactly that, spend it creatively with the people you care about. Nice work if you can get it, as they say, but what we can say is that Henry's song became one of the hits of his time, to be found in collections meant to be played in chambers across Europe and performed by voices and or instruments. Here's a charming version of it, played on transverse flutes by the Athanian consort. Time with Good Company by Henry VIII, played there by the Atagnan Consort, directed by Kate Clark. That's an ensemble of Renaissance transverse flutes. It's on the album Madame d'Amour. The practice of playing instruments in consort is a pillar of the Renaissance chamber tradition, and we could consider it the forerunner of later trios and quartets. But quite often, voices were part of the consort mix, and in Italy, we find that the idea of the camera or chamber, was exemplified by some of the highest echelons in society. For example, the Barberini family of Rome included the musicophile Maffeo, who would become Pope Urban VIII, and his three nephews, the two cardinals Francesco and Antonio, and prince-prefect of Rome, Taddeo. For the many years of his residence at the Palazzo della Cancelleria in Rome, Barberini and his fellow prelate Pietro Ottoboni remodeled several spaces in the palace to host music in those chambers. According to documents from the Vatican Library, Cardinal Francesco ordered between 1640 and 1641 the renovation of a carriage house to serve as an additional space in which to perform music, attesting to the importance which was placed on Musica da Camera by these patrons. Works by composers such as Michelangelo Rossi, Carlo Gesualdo, Domenico Mazzocchi, Pietro Eredia, and Tarquinio Merula regularly filled these palatial chambers. That was Evelyn Tubb singing Passa la Vita by Pietro Heredia, together with the Earl, his vials, from the album La Tavola Cromatica, Cardinal Barberini's musical academy. Secular music in halls of religious patrons seems only a short step away from religious music in secular spaces, and one form of chamber music that had this dual presence around the 17th century was the nascent trio sonata. Its origins were established in and around the mid-1600s, during which time the concept of additional instrumental music during church services was blooming out of the custom to substitute canzonas and sonatas on the organ for the proper during mass and vespers. This practice was just the beginning, and soon enough instrumental music insertions were commonplace. The champion of the sonata form, Arcangelo Corelli, transformed the genre by composing instrumental sonatas which could be utilized during church services, but these were termed Sonata da Chiesa to distinguish them from the more dance-filled Sonata da Camera, underscoring the sacred versus secular differentiation between the two sonatas by way of this simple label. Interestingly, the Sonata da Chiesa established the slow-fast-slow pattern, which we would later come to associate with sonata-form chamber music in general. From Arcangelo Corelli's Sonata da Chiesa, a in A minor, opus one, number four, with the Avisson ensemble. There's a unifying thread to the works we have heard so far. There's no need for a conductor, for one thing, but the idea of a conductor is fairly modern, and while earlier large ensembles did have someone keeping the tactus or beat, with either a long staff or the swinging of a forearm in time to the pulse of the music, the chamber ensemble relied on cues taken directly from player to player within the intimate context of a small group performance. It is this intimacy of sound and of conversational feeling that we so often prize in chamber music. But if we are speaking strictly of definitions of chamber music as music for the chambers of nobility, we should also include mention of larger works which pushed the boundaries of space and therefore of performer and audience intimacy, and which were much more about the social function of said chamber. As a case in point, let's take the 18th century Duchess Louise-Bénédicte de Bourbon-Condé. She was known for her patronage of the arts and for the fantastic parties she threw at her palace in Sceau, the Grand Nuit de Seo, which drew artists from near and far. Composers such as Jean-Joseph Mouret, Composed works for these festivities, which also received the title of Music for the Chamber, in this case, a chamber concerto or Concert de Chambre. from the Concert de Chambre by Jean-Joseph Mouret, played there by Ensemble La Française. Mouret's larger work may have been titled A Concert de Chambre, but the soul of chamber music remained in the small spaces, and even though many of the works of Baroque composers, such as the prolific Bohemian Antonin Reichenauer, were titled Concerti, They instead retained that spirit of works for small chamber spaces. In Reichenauer's case, perhaps this was due to the influence of the Italian composers which he admired, as well as his own Corellian bent as composer for both church and secular chamber. An excerpt from the Allegro of Antonin Reichenauer's Concerto for Violin, Violoncello, Bassoon, and Basso Continuo in G minor. Radio Antiqua from their album Treasures of the German Baroque. From the Germanic-Italian tradition of the mid-18th century, it's only a short hop to Haydn. Often considered the grand pair of the string quartet and the reason behind its place at the center of chamber music. Haydn's influence in defining the string quartet genre is undeniable. Unlike earlier composers, Haydn's writing was less dominated by the first violin, and he engendered more of a conversation between all four instruments. Haydn's quartets from his Opus 20 are often considered the turning point that changed the form, function, and nature of the genre, since they reflect the change from quartets as background chamber music to a more complex and robust form of music making. This also brings us back to my earlier mention of Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's description of chamber music as rational people conversing. This conversational paradigm, the way one instrument introduces a melody or motif, and then another instrument subsequently responds with a similar motif, has been a thread woven throughout the history of chamber music composition from the end of the 18th century to the present, and perhaps quite before. I'm Vlad Smushkevich, and I hope you'll join me next time here on RTE Lyric FM when we return to explore chamber music. We'll pick up from where we left off, surveying chamber music from Haydn and Mozart to the present day. For now... Let's dip into the exquisite conversation between the members of Quatuor Mosaic as they give us the opening movement of Haydn's String Quartet Opus 20 number no. 3 in G minor.